Hi, this is Mark Weber, The Honcho, Lazy Bastard Customizer, Sun Devil, Lava Bear, and official third wheel from What's on Joe Mind. Before you enjoy this first-rate episode of Virtual JoeCon 2020, please consider putting the fun in Fundraiser and help us contribute to World Central Kitchen, a nonprofit organization that provides meals to first responders and people affected by the COVID-19 situation. Go to donate.wck.org slash what's on Joe Mind and donate if you can. Every little bit helps and every bit of your pledge goes directly to the World Central Kitchen. Now, use your incredible chest articulation to sit back, relax, crack open a box of wine, and enjoy this presentation from the sure-to-be award-winning Virtual Joe Con from your friends at What's on Joe Mine. Meanwhile, in the What's on Joe Mine unisex restroom... I can see Bill. I see Mr. Ratner. I'm actually in a bathtub. This is just a... A whole fake, you know, background like Zoom. It's a great shower curtain, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, great. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to day five of the What's on Joe Mind virtual JoeCon. I'm your host, Mike Irizarry, doing a pre-recorded intro because we had a plan for this episode. And we just never got to it. You'll hear our special guests, Bill Ratner and Arthur Berghardt. And they just needed some time to chat. And frankly, that's when the story started to pour out. And I think we did the right thing by just getting the heck out of the way and letting those two gentlemen go for as long as they wanted. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed having them on. This is A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Panel. How you been, my friend? Oh, you know, just uh, tell you, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I mean, this COVID-19 allows me to concentrate on what, what really counts, which is my body. Uh, oh, no, forget it, forget it, forget it. <laughs> I didn't know it was that kind of show. I think a lot about I think a lot about my lungs, my kidneys, uh, the afterlife. You know, where's the Joe team when we need them? Uh, they fight big, giant germs that thunder across the countryside. These little ones, are, okay. they don't they don't get graded out for those. As long as they can smell gunpowder. But this stuff smells more like dial soap, I understand. <laughs> Dries out my skin the same way, too, man. Who is on this call? Who was who, who, who just talking? There was a young woman who was just talking. Bill, that is Joe Colton. She was not a part of the cast the last time you were on our program. Hello, Joe. Hi, how are you, sir? Good. Yeah, are you part of, of uh, this fabulous uh, enterprise? I am. Mike tricked me into it years ago. Were you guys, uh, were any of you guys in uh, at SAC ToyCon recently? No. 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 Big, big, very important gathering of people. Let me tell you. No, we heard um, about it, which is better than we usually do for some of those West Coast shows. But, but like, I, I'm the furthest west, and I'm in St. Louis, so... Oh, where are the rest of you guys? Joe is in Washington, D.C., and Mark is in yeah. Rhode Island. Mark Mark is also a gentleman who is not part of our show the last time you were on. Nice to meet you, Bill. Uh, what was your, your job responsibility to ask for? I was a manager of global brand development, so I kind of oversaw the new toy products from plan all the way to peg and then the autopsy afterwards. 
I did two and a half years on Transformers, and then they had an opening uh, on it was GI Joe and a lot of other '80s boys properties. So it was Rom and Mask and Micronauts and Stretch Armstrong, and they had an idea that they wanted to try to activate them all theatrically or at least with some form of entertainment and then tie them together into one uniform world like Marvel has done so well. But Paramount only wanted to start with Joe because Joe was the only one with previous theatrical success. So I joined Joe in fall of 2014, ostensibly working on G.I. Joe product for the movie, which was spring of 16, which is now finally being released maybe in fall of 2020. So that Joe movie just kept getting moved and Paramount was unwilling to commit to anything unproven like ROM or Micronauts or anything else. So I ended up preparing lines for movies that didn't get made and eventually that led to the elimination of my position. So as anybody who used to work there calls himself, I'm now a has-been, yeah. <laughs> but Joe was my favorite brand growing up. I loved it. I never got tired of it. So just the opportunity to work on it for a couple of years, even at low tide, was uh, you know a dream come true for me and something I'll always be uh, proud of. So when you got there, were you given the history of G.I. Joe, the, the figure, which I'm assuming began in the 50s with a comic book? Yeah, no, I, I didn't need it. I knew it. I was a big Joe fan, so I knew all about... America's movable fighting man turning into adventure team into super Joe. And then the brand goes dark for a couple of years and comes back as a real American hero up through the sunsetting of the classic Joe into uh, Sergeant Savage and then back with Sigma six. And I knew it all really, really well. And so when they had an opening and thought they were going to reinvigorate the brand, I think I was kind of a logical choice to come over and work on it. And I was thrilled for the opportunity. I was just frustrated a bit that the paramount delays for the movie really hurt the brand. And the movement of the second movie, when they delayed it for a whole year, when there was already toys on shelves, really, really was, I don't want to say the death blow, because it's still, it's still alive, it's still kicking a bit. But it was critically damaging to the brand because it lost them their main retailers, Walmart and Target, essentially said we're done with G.I. Joe. Plus, Flint in the second movie was such a wimp. He was, you know, he was like five foot eight and, you know, it kind of down in the mouth. I thought, no, no, right. just kill him, just blow him up. <laughs> and from a design cue. Nothing that was classic Flint. Where's his beret? Where's his shotgun? Where are the, the shells on his chest? Like I always said, I'm not slavish to anything the way it used to be. But if you're changing it, it should be for a reason other than ignorance, right? So why did they? Why did Paramount wait so long? Why, wait a year to release? They said that what they put out there as, as the public bit was that 3D was becoming such a big deal in theaters that they wanted to reshoot some of it in 3D. But... I've always believed the truth was it was scheduled to come out. I think I forget the order, but it was like a week after Batman, the dark Knight, and a week before the new amazing Spider-Man. And that spring is when Avengers, the original Avengers hit and just blew up the box office. And I think Paramount looked at GI Joe coming off what was a disappointing debut movie I think they looked at that sequel being sandwiched between Batman and Spider-Man and went, oh, my God, we have no chance. 
So the the, re, the reasoning behind moving it out wasn't bad from Paramount's perspective, but from Hasbro's perspective, they had already made the first couple months of toys. They were in their distribution centers and on their shelves. And when the movie didn't come out, not only did they lose all the marketing they had done ahead of time on television, but the collectors pounced like they always do on the new stuff. And then they didn't put any more out for the rest of the year. They just sat on stuff in their distribution centers for a year and, you know, time and space is money. So by the time the movie finally came out, they were thrilled to put stuff on shelves. And then there was no collector pounce at all because they had all bought that stuff a year prior. And so the story that uh, Target and Walmart believed was, wow, the collectors aren't even coming out with the movie in theaters. And they were already mad at this stuff that's been sitting there for a year, and now it won't sell. And they basically washed their hands of Joe at that point and went, well, it had a great run, but this is done. So was there an attempt where, I mean, I know this is many years after the fact, 28 years after the fact or more, that you got there. What, was there an attempt to sort of inculcate you into the into the mythos of G.I. Joe? What it was and what it was and who the Joe, you know, who the Joe team is supposed to be, who the individual G.I. Joe used to be. Yeah, they, they didn't need to do that with any of me. And I was sort of sought out on some level for the role. And I assume, I mean, you know, to pat myself too much, but I did really good work on Transformers. But I think it was my pre-knowledge of Joe that helped me get that job. But the, for the people that were before me and that followed me, I don't think they indoctrinated them so much because the the VP, Daryl DePriest, knew so much. I mean, he wrote a book about G.I. Joe, and that's how he got his job at Hasbro, was they were so impressed with his knowledge. So I don't know that they, that they always needed someone that well-versed because for, what, uh, 12 years or 20 years, they had Daryl DePriest kind of overseeing it or at least advising on it. When I worked for him, he was vice president of global strategy and marketing. For G.I. Joe. He also worked on Star Wars for a couple of years, so he wasn't always over Joe. But for a lot of the last 20 years, he was the straw that stirred the drink. So is this a book really about marketing or what is it? No, it's about the 12 inch Joe. It's more of a guide for collectors. Uh, I don't mean to interrupt. I'm going to add Arthur in. This is Art Linkletter coming back from the grave to introduce Arthur Burkhardt. Ladies and gentlemen, who's getting ready to go to the grave listening to you play our game <laughs> Well, there's one thing that hasn't changed. <laughs> Last time I saw you, we were hugging, and I've still got my hands on my shoulders. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bill, but you're the wrong gender for me to be hugging anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anything, think, anything more to say? Anything more to say before I say it's not nice to see you? It's not nice to hear you. I'm getting ready to say, well, screw off. I'm not going to do this show. <laughs> and I think I stole some of your Fritos and, and took a bite of your tuna fish sandwich as well. But, you know. It was, it was, you did. You did. Well, you, and you weren't slapped? <laughs> no. You, you were looking the other way. You weren't. You weren't B-slapped? No, me, Joe no. 
You wear a bee slap? No, not, not at all. Not at all. I try to avoid it at all costs. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Even as we talk, I'm buying the book. G.I. Joe, the complete story of America's favorite man of action. You know, the, the guy you never talk about uh, is the was the announcer for G.I. Joe, the little bullet-headed guy from New York who's a network announcer. G.I. Joe, we'll be back after this. <laughs> uh, Jackson Beck. And he was probably four feet seven, you know, yeah. He was. With a voice, with a voice that made him sound as if he was well hung, huh? Jackson Beck. I'm Jackson Beck. I met him at an after meeting in New York. Hello, I'm Jackson, Jackson Beck. Beck. Yeah. He was the he voice of G.I. Joe. The guitars? Uh, We're talking about the announcer. Yes, I remember yeah. that now. Yes. Yeah. I remember looking at his name and going, oh, my God, that's, no, no, it can't be. He was 80 years old when he did it. And he was, a, you know, one of the, he was one of those guys who had to wear a tuxedo on you know on on the and the radio studio studios on Broadway if it was ninety degrees outside is there's a live audience right 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 it was a live audience and he had to look really good inside when he got in yeah yeah as a matter of fact I thought looking at all those old shows <laughs> in New York when I I did my first narration what was the name of that it's just you know the name of the company, okay? And it was the only one I ever did in New York. It didn't really like me after all. You know, I was unskilled. I didn't. Anyway, I came in I did, and I dressed. They said, what, what, are you, what are you doing? This isn't on camera. I said, well, I thought that I would have to look good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So much. You know, who sent me over there? Oh, yeah. It was somebody at William Morris Agency. You you already knew you were a voice actor. Yeah. You knew you were an actor deluxe, not a. I'm not a voice actor. Yeah. Neither are you. Hi, I'm a voice actor. I've never said that in oh, my life. I'm geez. just I'm just calling you. That. I know you didn't. I know you didn't. But everybody around us, I keep telling Mike and Joe. Is Mr. Weber here? He is. Absolutely. Hello, Arthur. He didn't speak. He's not said a word. Do you know who this is, uh, Bill? We just it? met. We were, we were uh, the, the man who was a brand manager for Hasbro. That we were talking about. Yes. This is Hasbro, bro. Well, yeah. yeah, man. I was, I was just, I was just interviewing him. I'm writing a book, biography, for God's sake. I'm, I, you know, on the side. What? <laughs> you know, what? Wait, once a lot of time. We can't dump on him. What? Right. I'm sorry. Well, you'll get to know me better, and then you know the gloves will come off. <laughs> well, if you were a corporate exec or a Hasbro, the gloves came off a lot, I'm sure. Yeah, I think I was I was right below that exec level. I don't think I was uh, I wasn't backstabby enough to climb the ladder that high. So I uh, I, had, <laughs> had, I had my own glass ceiling. So what, 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 what oh was my the, god? What was the relationship between Sunbow and Hasbro? Why did Sunbow uh, edge right. its way right. into the future? I don't know that part of it uh, about why the cartoon eventually got away from Sunbow and went to Deke, but you know, obviously Hasbro was still interested in, in using animation to push the narrative as as well as Larry's comic. Uh, but I don't I don't know the story about that switch. And of course, that was that was well before my time. Like Hasbro years were just tw- 2012 to 2017. Well, Arthur wasn't Sunbow essentially just the physical production company? Hasbro didn't make cartoons, but Sunbow did. Was that the deal? Right, 
Yeah. Right. I forgot. Not seeing Don George's name, Bill, uh, Mark, the other day, it straightened my head out. Yes, Don George was in the original sessions. This is what I understood from Chris. Sunbow was created because there were people over there at Hasbro who wanted to talk to a GI and a decorated veteran like Joe Bacall. Okay. And Joe talked to Chris because he knew Chris's work, right? And gave Chris an idea for Cobra Commander's voice. <laughs> they had the, the comic book, um, of course, because it was, it was running. And they had bought rights to that, uh, Hasbro, but they needed someone to create the television arm. Yeah, okay? From what I understand from Chris, that's, that's what happened. Now they relied upon Chris to uh, get some of the finest talents too there. Um, he offered his knowledge of some people, but they didn't expect me. And uh, I, I didn't want to do it at first, as I told you before, because they asked for the voice of James O. Jones. I said, I don't do James O. Jones. Call up James O. Jones your damn self. <laughs> <laughs> so I gave, him, I gave him something different, and they liked it. Now, I'm getting off the topic, but yeah, you're right. They needed to get into the business somehow and not give away their secrets, okay? They wanted to do it unobtrusively, and they managed to do that. They were afraid that there'd be competition from other G.I. Joe-type cartoons. Enough out of me. I'm stopping. I love hearing you, man. I love hearing you. <laughs> it's good to hear your talking. voice, too, you old fart. God bless <laughs> me, you old fart. How is Mary? Hold you on, know, Joe. I'm sorry. How is Mary? Mary's great. She she's uh, living in Portland, and uh, she has a voiceover studio in her house. And uh, we were together in Sacramento right before the sequester in place in at the end of February for sack yes, toy. Yes. No, she's just gorgeous. She she dresses. She does this military drag thing with with boots that really turn me on. And, and epaulets, uh, epaulets on her little uh, you know military jacket and. So she she gets a lot of guys very very wet. I mean no, but she does. <laughs> and, uh, Wonderful. A few years ago, we we did GI Joe Con, uh, one of the last ones that Hasbro sponsored, and uh, it was me and her and Larry Hama and a guy who was the marketing manager for Hasbro at the time uh, in the early eighties, and. Um, Came in from the airport, and here we met in the lobby of the hotel by accident. Mary, Bill, Lady J, Flynn, and we hugged and kissed each other. And we turned around, and there was a crowd of about twenty-five people standing there with their mouths yeah. agape. And I and I and I, and I lo looked at them, and I said, "Yeah, Yo, Joe, the love still lives." <laughs> remember the remember the sunscreen scene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then we discovered years later that we had a bastard child. I don't know who your character was making love with, Arthur, but Flint. Uh, Flint where, which uh, you, mean, you mean? I'm on the Joes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Stalker was screwing them all. Yeah. 
<laughs> tell, tell us more. Tell us more. I just love listening to your voice after all these years. You know, it's really, no, no, no. It's, no, I, it's, no, it's like, it's like, isn't his voice great, guys? It's just great. It's, it's unbelievable. I think the mind stinks when I hear it. <laughs> it's, 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 I'd rather disguise it doing a rasp or a roar or some, <laughs> you know. Uh, but yours, yours is perfect for. First, uh, there, there are other vo great voices like that that uh, I came across running around auditioning, auditioning for narration jobs. You know, I never wanted to do this. I never. I loved rock music, but what, I never wanted. But, but to what about as a kid? Didn't you make fun of the of a you know, rock and roll. Of course, DJ. both my, sure, my brother and I, my brother especially loved uh, uh, Andy Devine's show. Remember that? Oh, oh. Now, yeah. these kids, I remember these kids are too young, Bill. Froggy <laughs> says, and Froggy yeah. says. <laughs> right. I had kids, I, 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 I. My yeah. brother did that shit all the time. You know, yeah. he'd, he'd, be, he'd be the squirrel, uh, Joe, Mark, who jumps out of the, what was it? The, the nets there, what he had. Right. Andy Devine was a great, I guess they qualify him as a character actor, right, Bill? Yeah, I don't remember him except for that show. That That's all. Western sidekick kind of guy. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. But he was great. He would, he was okay. always just, he was always flummoxed and ah, yeah. Right, right. Comic relief. Well, but, and we, I, I cut off Joe, by the way. We cut off Joe. We got to come back to Joe. But I just want, I just want to, to answer your question. Yes, we did. But that's how I think you, maybe you too. I had a feeling that Roddy McDowell did too. One of the things that we all did was we imitated the announcers. We couldn't have done the roles, but we imitated the announcers, the characters. I imitated Adolf Manjou until I realized he was a terrible white racist. <laughs> oh, Jesus <laughs> because I like I like that I like that insouciant elegance. You know? <laughs> Loved it. So then I went to James Mason. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Joe, you asked us a question. Mark, I'm sorry, brother. We we give you some time because you know we got some questions for you, boy. Do we ever? <laughs> so you're on the hot seat, homie. Uh, uh, what were you saying, Joe? I cut you off, darling. You should just keep talking. Bill, Bill enjoys your voice. <laughs> <laughs> Bill's just saying that to flatter me so that I'll fall over my tongue. Okay. Flattery goes a long way, sir. Not, not with me. Are you kidding me? I fall over my tongue all the got less of time. You know, I wrote a poem called Nemo Reductio about my awful ego in the 20th century. Come on, kid. Hey, hey. Hey, hey, kid. Hey. <laughs> Mark, you, as soon as you said you were from Hasbro, we figured, we figured, well, I can't see something, Bill. Hold on. I think that one of these days, Mark is going to fool us into becoming a producer. Uh-huh. My first work out of college was in radio. I was a radio producer for sports mm -hmm. radio for a couple of years. So I've got, you know, when people would say, oh, you work in radio, I'd go, yeah. They go, so you're the guy, right? And I'm like, no. And they'd say, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm the producer. And they go, what, what does a producer do? And the best way to get them to understand, I would say, do you, do you watch Frasier? Are you familiar with the show, Frasier? Right, oh, sure. Right, and I'd right, say, okay, right, cool, I, right. I'm Roz. 
That's what I do. I'm Ross. And then they go, okay, I get it. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, you've got three actors here, right here. You got it. Think of Uh, something that the three of us can do right quick. And quick, too, before I pass. My God, I'm (laughs) older than water. Older than dirt. It'll only be a couple years before I'll be back in charge of G.I. Joe. Uh, and now I've got your numbers and your emails. So we're, it's all good. Did you hear that, Brother Flint? Yeah. <laughs> Except Did you hear he that, has, he has no Did idea. you hear that? He has no <laughs> idea which satellite to use for real communication. <laughs> oh, God. I, I wrote a, uh, a PSA, which I performed both roles in. You know, you can write a PSA on these computers, guys, and you can be director, actor, producer, <laughs> writer, <laughs> head writer. <laughs> Arthur, that sounds like seven paychecks. I think that's a good deal. Uh, Bill, come on over to Destro Diehards and sign up for you. Tell them they'd love to hear from you, all those kids over there, all right? It's a fanzine on Facebook. They don't, they don't allow crap, racism. We don't allow politics or, or the ugly politics, especially. You know, we're, these kids are into helping each other, but they love Cobra, G.I. Joe. They discuss dioramas and, and poses and um, uh, help me, Joe. Poses and action figures. They show up their costumes. Joe has shown off some of her costumes over there, along with other uh, baronesses, right? And we've got some of the most beautiful women in the world coming on there. And Joe is one of them. And you should see some of her work. She's beautiful. She is very beautiful, y'all. I'm saying it. Don't mind saying it, Joe. You're welcome, darling. And, and one of the, another thing, she's smart too, y'all. So hey, you know, you put your hands on this lady, you go, you in for a lot of trouble, brothers. <laughs> and and just to be fair, just to be fair, Mike's not Mike's not half bad either. No, he's got some good Mike's legs. Mike's not half bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do. I got legs, and, legs Mike, and hair, man. Mike legs and hair. Oh God! Oh God! God, it is good hearing your voice, Bill. You still work. Did I see you at the, at the TF on the one in Burbank? I went to the one in Canada. That's when I took a bite of your tuna fish sandwich. And but yeah, that was actually very nice. It was Here? nice. Yeah, oh, that's wrong. Oh, that's right. In Burbank, that, you, I thought this was years ago when you did that. That was six, six months ago. Yeah. My God, I hadn't seen Jack Angel and my former agent Arlene. Thornton in a long time. Yeah, yeah. Did and you I, meet? Did you meet my? Did you meet my daughter? No, I. I well, you know what? Yes, for a second, for a second, yes. And it was the first time. Uh, you, you were sitting down at the booth, and I came over and said hello. And there's, a, you know, a whole line of us all the way up, up and down this side of the room. And I believe so. Wow. Yeah. What What does she do? I don't know. She's very, very <laughs> I think she wants to surprise me with something. I think she's probably working uh, with first responders. What the hell was she thinking? She went to Florida. <laughs> but I'm talking so damn much. You let, why are you letting me talk so much, Bill? You used to talk my fool head off. When we were I'm, uh, I'm, I'm selling drugs online. I have to focus. Sorry, mm-hmm. there's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
But hey, we're partially we're partially legal in California, so I hope there are no yeah. fans listening. It's the gig economy, Bill. Got to take care yes, of yourself. This is right. That's right. I got a big gig. Yeah. No, actually, the truth is, man, I am I am looking at Destro Diehards. This is very cool. I should join the group and and say uh, hello. say hello. Uh, you too, Mark. Come on. I asked oh, him, you know, so I should, I should I hear back from you. There are a lot of good folks on there, particularly folks who are producers of these Comic Cons. They, they just started coming over. Some of them surprised me, shocked me. I said, What are you guys doing here? You know, well, we're coming to check up on you to see if you're still sober, fool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of hoping they don't get right back to me, so I can I can lean on them and go. I, I happen to know a, a, a Scottish laird personally, right? That's that. Yes, what you I don't, what you I don't want to call that out the thunder too quick, no, but no, I know. People. Oh no, no, no. Yeah, no, you, it, that's here's what you say. I am a friend of Destro. Destro sent me. There we go. And then I get the password and the handshake. And get, everything. Jo- <laughs> and, and, and Joe will vouch for you. Joe's a member of the Die Hard. The, the handshake, the password, am. and a, a series of inoculations. <laughs> right, right. As a matter of fact, everybody here is a member of the Die Hard. I, I, I once said something, people got upset. I said uh, about Slaughter that uh, I'll whip you like Hulk Hogan or something like that. You know, as Destro, right? And people took offense to that. I said, "I'm only kidding." It's it's the same stuff that they used to he used to do at the WWE. Come on, oh god! So I gave that up, you know. And instead, it's uh, when I go on, I talk to the kids about being kind to one another. Can you imagine that, um, Bill? I've become an old evangelizer. Of morals and ethics and goodness. Before you got on, I told the story about being at, at uh, JoeCon, and a guy come, forty-year-old man comes up to me in the hallway, and I want you to know that you taught me ethics and morality. And I thought that you know Billy Graham was behind me, and, and, and he was talking to him. Yeah. And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "You know those PSAs you guys all did for GI Joe? Uh, I was having a mm. tough time as a kid, and and uh, I watched those, and you told me, Jimmy." Don't throw that baseball through your sister's window. It could get glass. <laughs> and uh, he said, yes. and I thought, really? We can be terrified in our sleep. Mm-hmm. The power of TV. Did, I, don't think I, I don't think that Destro did any of the PSAs with G.I. Joe. I don't remember it. The only thing I remember, there are I a, few, remember. a few of us. I think because your character was essentially dark and evil. Right, 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 and right, right. They they wanted the uh, they wanted the good guys, but I, it was what well, happened. Well, I was I was stuck with an iceberg. Right. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And one of the yeah. producer, I don't know if it was Jerwich or somebody, came up to me and just handed me a stack yeah. of these things one afternoon during a break at Wally Burr's studio and said, Love "Here, it. you're not going to get paid any extra. Just read these damn things." I said, well, "What are they?" I remember. Wait, wait. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. He said, the parent groups are the PTAs after us. We got to make ourselves look good. We got to Disney-fy it. So. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Oh, my God, yes. 
And I was telling the kids the last time that we were together, one of the things that's amazed me about this whole Comic-Con thing is the vast numbers of people who like that young man, like that now older man, right? Who said, thank you for my childhood. They've been saying the exact same, thank you for my childhood. Thank you for raising me when, with things that my mother or father couldn't say to me and giving me an imagination that this I do not wish to do. Even though there were times when the only historic, excuse me, the only heroic figure were the Joes, somehow I enjoyed thinking how I could best a Cobra Commander or a Destro. <laughs> but you know, thank you for my childhood. And I'm going, what? I never understood any of this until I, re I recalled back, back, I don't know, right, right. 83, right around the same time we were doing G.I. Joe. I was at the Hotel mm -hmm. Del Coronado. We're in uh, Del Coronado, California. You know, big, beautiful, old, historic place built in the 19th century and waiting for a girlfriend yeah, you know, to check out. And I went into the gift shop and it said, rent, you know, rent for $2, the audio history of so i you know i did and i put the headphones on and i walked out it was right by the beach and i walked on the beach and listening and i actually started i started crying listening to the voice it was the voice of the great hans conrad from the adventures yeah. of rock and bullwinkle the voice of snidely whiplash dudley do right yeah he was the, the, the history of the great hotel but this boy i hadn't heard that voice for decades I mean, I'm sure he had died, but yeah. he was, you know, he was a significant part of my childhood. It was only then that I real that I realized what these guys are are talking about when they go, "Thank you for my childhood." That you've got a voice that is part of their everyday. Either it's on Tuesdays in the afternoon, or it's every day. And and um, you know, I don't think video games are doing the same thing. I think I think television had no. a, a different emotional effect. You know, you, it's a you're passively. These kids are sitting there and taking it all in, and it took me years before I remembered that. I went, oh wait a minute! I sobbed on the beach of Southern California, listening to one of the great cartoon voices of my childhood. Mm -hmm. That's a great story. Yes, well, yeah. our, our generation. Was yeah, really I, the, I, I think I see. It. I think I see it too. Yes, Sorry. We were the the first ones that didn't have a parent at home a lot of times. Yeah, so, you know that was yes. Yeah. We drifted to the television, and you guys were on it. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, all, yeah. Yeah. all that time that that people are normally, you know, generations before us, they're bonding with mom, they're bonding with dad, they're bonding with grandparents. I mean, I was lucky in that regard. My mom worked part time. My grandmother lived in the house with us, so I I'm one of the few that didn't get to experience that firsthand. But. I know out of out of most of my friends in in around my age group, I'm one of the very few that got right. had that luxury. But right. so that that was who they watched. They learned what to do and what not to do from, you know, Bill Ratner reading a, a cheesy stack of public service announcements to make everything a little <laughs> more Disney. I guess I tend to see it too. Was that the television was the nanny. The cartoons were the nanny. Chris and I were lobbying for a little bit greater literature, you know, uh, something more substantive than what we were feeding the kids out there then, you know. What do you think, Bill? You know, in terms of content, I, I, don't, I can't comment. But in terms of performance, 
Wally Burr, and I don't know if it was his original idea or if it was Hasbro or his son, got better performances out of all of us than they were getting out of Michael Bell and everybody else in their 55-minute sessions. I mean, you remember, we sat there for three and a half, four hours. And, uh, you know, Wally Burr, I'm the youngest tank commander in World War II, and by God, I'm not going to take any crap from you guys. I want realistic performances. <laughs> Your brains are being sucked out by an extraterrestrial dragon. Be real. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> And and but, but I thought you know, that's what we were doing before Wally came on board. You know, uh, Wally had good intentions. You know, he wanted. I, I mean, how is Destro going to go with a beryllium masked face? You know, plates of beryllium steel. He's not going to go ow or oof when somebody hits him in the face. <laughs> He's going to laugh at them. He's going to laugh at them. Chris and I both. There are times when we just said, "No, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because it's not. It doesn't work. You know, show me what the cell looks like. I looked at it. Okay, uh, perhaps if he gets hit in the body, I can go. Ooh. Okay, but I, 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 I don't want to go any more with that. All the onomatopoeia. Other than that, it's, we're we're going to have to tough it out, doing something else. I remember these confabs between you and Chris and Wally. Wally would put his World War II helmet back on and tighten his chin strap and just talk through his teeth. Come on, you guys. They're talking. I know, I know, I know. You know, and that's when Mike would churn in with his... Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I love Wally. I love him. Still. But there were moments when he was just simply wrong. And that's that. I felt, I'm not speaking for anybody else, certainly not you. I felt that there, and sometimes Chris did too, that there were other ways of more realistic, more realistically playing the parts. I mean, somehow these cartoons were hot. Television, which is a cool medium, or it should be, Became a hot medium in the cartoons. Then. Am I making any sense to you guys? Yeah. What do you mean, hot? Hot medium. Say, say more. In terms of acting and doing things, you know, and and emotion or emoting or uh, putting feeling into form in the voice, <laughs> because that's all that we had. We weren't making the gestures on camera, obviously. If I'm not mistaken, a lot of the writers came from episodic TV. So they were yes. writing better dialogue. But I, and I think we were caught between yes. Michael Bell, Michael Bell, Duke, who said, Wally, I've got another session. I don't care if you have another session. Get back on the microphone. And and uh, <laughs> and the Smurfs, you know, little little pur purple pur purple people, little purple people. And that's what that's what you know all the cartoon actors were doing. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, we, yeah, you know, yeah. we were real, we were supposed to be special ops soldiers, real people, which, you know, was fun. For you guys, for you and Chris, though, because your characters were so out there, your characters were much more interesting than anybody else's. I mean, we were all just, you know, yeah. hey, ho, yeah. yes, sir, and good, bad, yeah. somewhere in between. Right, right, right. Ring knockers from West Point, boy. <laughs> so I, I, so I don't think I don't think they knew what to. Especially, I mean, at times when Chris would start laughing and coughing, ah! <laughs> maybe, maybe, 
maybe it was a little easier playing that kind of insanity, you know, than what you guys, well, I had to do that too with Iceberg and Stalker over on the other side. I mean, I, yes, you know, to assume the military bearing and be uh, human and, you know, and your wreck times, you know, or, or lovey. I had Baroness and you, you guys, <laughs> Lady J and Scarlet, you know, you guys had your ladies over there. You know, and I had this metal face, and I'm supposed to be kissing this woman. I'm going, Wally, I'm thinking this through. I'm trying to work on this. Leave me alone for a moment. Give me a moment. I'm going to get coffee, Wally. I've got to work this through. <laughs> For the benefit of the show, I've got to figure this shit out. Is there, Shut is up. <laughs> Wally had me come in specifically. I think it was with the Transformers alone so that he could deal with me alone. Oh, God. Yeah. 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 Well, I also had full days doing other, other work, but he would bring me. We, we did a couple of shows. I was absolutely alone. Because he said, Arthur, at the end of the session, we're going to do all the onomatopoeia, all the bang, the booms, the what, the whoop. And I said, okay, Wally. If there's something I think is silly and I can't, well, I just want to put it in the library, in, in your library, so that you can pull it out and put it in a cartoon, even if it doesn't work, Wally. Yes, <laughs> So I went along with it, and I did I did. Um, and the reason why was because he had to have an overview that I didn't have. And I probably already was getting a very bad reputation with people over at Hasbro. I found out that it wasn't that bad after all. You know, they were happy, it seems, Mark, that Chris and I took this seriously, our work with them our camaraderie, um, the way we jousted with each other and played with each other, also made the show work. One of the things that the show fostered was this notion of the theatrical ensemble. I, I worked in repertory theater. In fact, thank God I had that training because a lot of my work in the theater was in the grand repertoire of some plays, you know. Some of the, the last thing that I, that I did was for Ellen Gear. And uh, you, you know the works of Bertolt Brecht, do, Brecht. do yeah. you not, uh, Bill? Actually, in, in, in Berkeley, I worked for Epic West, the Center for the Study of Bertolt Brecht, and we did, we staged oh stuff that never should have been staged. We staged short stories. Well, did, you, did, did, you, did you ever do, did you ever do Caucasian Chalk Circle? No, we did not. No, we did, we, we did weird guess, stuff. Guess who, guess who did? Yeah. <laughs> Ellen Gear called me up and said, you know, I always want a black man to direct in Caucasian chalk circle when you do it. <laughs> out, out in, in uh, Topanga? Out in Topanga? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. It, uh, having, be, being able to work together was terrifically important for the beginning of G.I. Joe. Now, I don't think that if Wally was the director at first, we might not have been able to forge that feeling of ensemble and 
of working together and togetherness, you know, to, 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 to get it going. To rely on it when everything else fails. Am I making sense to anybody? Yeah, there, there was. It was really a lot of fun. It was a ton of fun. I mean, right. and as the right. months rolled right. on, and remember those, you know, the wonderful old character actors from Gunsmoke and the Virginian, and I mean, guys, yeah. you know, Chuck, yeah. Chuck McCann who yeah. built built the puppet Rudy Kazuti, the great Chuck McCann yeah. there. I mean, it was yeah. really it was a yeah. gallery of rogues. You know, the, these guys were brought back to life with this show, and here we were yeah. as part of the original ensemble. It was a pleasure for me. I really, it was, those were a great time. I met Chuck McCann years before he came on. And he said, Arthur, you know, wow, boom. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. I'm standing out in front of Hannah Barbera. There's, there's a, I love this guy, Roddy McDowell. I think I told the kids, you kids about it, right? Did I, did I talk to you about Roddy McDowell? Yes. Before? On this show? Okay. Yes. And uh, he's standing there, you know. I didn't know that he was sick at the time, you know. Um, the brother's standing, he's waiting for a ride. Pick him up, a limousine, maybe. I thought, you know, he said, no, no, just somebody else. You know, and I congratulated him. I said, I, when I saw Caesar and Cleopatra, you know, I'm, uh, my father and I talked about your performance. We thought that you were the best in the whole film. You know, he's locked. He said, thank you. Yeah, I missed that. You know, I, I, I loved what you did. I grew up in an age where we depended upon one another on the stage and the sound stage to make it happen. Yeah. One of my greatest yeah. disappointments was was in one of those uh, moments with Chuck McCann was a TV guy. And um, I yeah. don't think he was a theater yeah. guy. TV was his thing, early 50s. And it wasn't theater. It was, it was television. Yeah, right. somehow I met him. I don't know how. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. And um, and I was talking about Fearless Fosdick. I don't know what we were talking about with your favorite TV shows as a kid. Yeah. And oh, Fearless Fosdick, oh, I, I think that, that CBS yeah. aired about aired something like nine episodes. And I remember Fearless getting blown away by bad guys, and he would uh, literally yeah, in his no, apartment he would he, he would have had a, a hot wait, night. Wait, 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 yeah. Bill, Bill, yeah. back up, Bill. These kids don't know who Fearless Fosdick is, I don't think. Now, Fearless Fosdick was a minor character in Dick Tracy, right? He worked, didn't he? He yep. was on the same yep. detective team, mm -hmm. and uh, with a, with a little right. dirty and a, and, a, and, a, and a pointed chin. And Eunice Pimpleton was his girlfriend. And CBS got the idea that a, a, a cigar, a cigar in his mouth. Yeah, yeah. And and CBS yep. got the idea that they could make a, a children's show out of it. This was a murder yep. show. This was a snuff show. I mean, there were these were these were live. These were marionettes. They filmed. They filmed them. And he came out of Eunice Templeton's apartment after a night of love, and the bad guys were there with their cats, and they flogged them. Bam, 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 bam. He pulls open his jacket, and they come up to a close-up of his entire thoracic cavity is like Swiss cheese, with smoke yeah. coming out of the holes. And I thought, and this is where my nightmares came from. This is where, this is where, I mean, I mean G.I. Joe and Transformers were like mar marshmallows compared to, you know, to, 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 poison, to poison mushrooms. And, and uh, so I, I was talking about this show to, and, and suddenly this big, beefy, pale Irish American hand lands on my shoulder like a pound, ton, yep. couple of pounds of beef. 
And he said, uh, Fearless Fosdick? And I said, yeah, the best show I've ever seen on TV. I built Fearless Fosdick. This Chuck McCann. I built Rudy oh, Kennedy. Yes. Yep. And yep. I said, really? Yep. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I stood up and I, you know, I fawned. Yep. I, 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 you know, I bowed and. I said, you don't by any chance have any of this stuff that you've built. Oh, I got my old basement. I got the lights set up. I got the sets. I got everything. Is there any chance that I could drop by and just see this stuff and pay my, pay my homage? Oh, of course you can. And he gave me a card. I called Arthur. I called for six months. Left messages. Hi, oh, Chuck. Oh, oh. I played Flint on G.I. Joe. And he never called me back. Uh, the great Lorenzo music. I don't know if you knew Lorenzo. He was the voice of uh, yes. of, of Carl yes. Gilman and the voice of Garfield and all that. He yep. said the same thing happened to him. He, he met Chuck McCann. Oh, I got all the puppets. I got the lights. I got sets. I got the whole thing. You just come on over. And Lorenzo Chuck said, he called, told he called me that too. He told so, me that too. I got this. I got this. Yeah, come on. Come yeah. He told me that too. Go ahead. Yeah, but you you were you, you, oh my you, God, Lorenzo music. Yes, Lorenzo music. So broken oh. hearts. I mean, the 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 road through children's television is littered with shattered hearts. To throw a postscript on that, yes. Bill, you told us that one a couple that. years ago when you were on, and yeah. I I made it a point at that at that point. I I consistently made an effort to get Chuck McCann on the program, and if yeah, I had nothing, he never got back to me either. So yeah. <laughs> it, just so you know, it didn't like it, it. The generations kept going, and of course, yeah. you know he he Chuck McCann, he left us a, a, a short time ago, maybe a couple of years ago. Right. But uh, yep. But no, never never heard a word back. I tried to go through his agent. I tried to go through his website. I tried to go through Facebook. I tried all of the avenues that would present themselves. Going, you know what? If if I pull this one off, I'm getting Ratner on to do that interview. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's, it's weird. We're weird because he's not. He was not George Clooney. I mean, let's be honest. You know. <laughs> but he was. I guess there's a right. certain power. It's it's like if you're the beautiful girl at the dance, you can just say no. He was the beautiful girl on, on the dance. Yeah. It, it, exactly. So long as they're talking about you, I guess. Yeah. It doesn't matter yeah, what they're exactly. saying. It, as, long as long as they're calling. As long, as long as you can delete their messages, you're okay. That's right. <laughs> So, God rest his soul. Well, yeah, I, I think I remember that Fearless Fosdick show, the filigree body and the smoke coming out of the forest of the holes left by. As a matter, as a matter of fact, you know, the uh, Walter Lang stuff was the same way too. Often, by the time you got to the GI Joe, you had all these ex tremendous explosions, bodies flying everywhere, but no bodies dismembering or bleeding. Anime, that's completely different, you know. Be, they, the Japanese say that they're inured to it, ch and, and also that their children don't uh, grow up with an aversion to violence because of it. Because of the seeing violence uh, in the cartoon? Yeah, because of watching at violence when they're very young in the anime, right. Bloody violence. Oh, that's Bloody wild. I didn't realize that. that. So, that's what they, they say. Ah, oh, interesting. Of, of course. It doesn't stop the little cult that the little is it a Jesus cult or something? The little nationalistic, nasty cult that that gassed the subways in Japan. Oh God, yeah, 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 yeah. Or or, or, them. Okay. or that, that that kill themselves and and lie down on beds in San Diego and wait for the yeah, yes, yeah. 
I believe that that's flawed anyway, but they say that. I have read that. The, the, the presence of violence on television for little kids turns them off? The presence turns, turns, they become, an aversion toward bloodletting is set up in them. Though that's they're fascinated by it on television. That's very interesting. Or, very or, interesting. or in movies. Of course, this all started because I told some people that I, I, was, in a, I was being interviewed for a show and I thought that I was going to get around getting a couple of degrees in the middle of <laughs> and I was going to try for a doctorate with an idea that I had when I was a child that Godzilla saved Japan. They <laughs> lost the war, but, but won the peace with the propaganda for themselves. Of Godzilla, mm-hmm. yeah. And someone said, "That's an idea, man, Arthur." I said, "Well, I, I developed this to, to my father. Didn't think it was a great idea, but one of his, <laughs> one, one of my father's professorial uh, colleagues thought that it was a great idea, and I almost wrote something about it. Now people are beginning to see that Godzilla was really a, a god. <laughs> Godzilla, Godzilla, Godzilla." A bodhisattva. Yeah. <laughs> Chuck McCann, my God. I was thinking of Larry, that guy who did all those voiceovers. He was a voiceover producer. I studied with him on voiceovers. Larry, oh my God. You're bringing back so many memories that are partial memories that have been dull. I, I don't. I don't. I know? remember Larry. What was Larry a disc jockey? An older guy with white hair and yeah. a radio announcer? No. Yeah. Larry Belly, little Larry Belly. He had white hair, white, whitish blonde. He was a producer of Voices too. Uh, never mind. Okay, let me ask you a question here. I, I, I got it. Maybe, maybe I was wrong. I thought that those times when Joe was being formed, right, unlike Transformers, people were introduced later on. I remember sitting at the very first two shows, okay, I was sitting there. The ideas were formed originally that brought us together. I don't, I don't know if it was just our, the way we liked one another and the people who were brought in after us too, just kind of fell into the groove of the ensemble. There was something about the way we were created, am I right, that we were brought together that aided in the creation of the show. We wouldn't have to string, we we knew what we were doing. We brought in actors who knew what they were doing and where they were at any given time of the script. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they auditioned. I remember that. I, I don't know if you were in on the on the first couple of days inside Wallaby Studio. I mean, you know, from from TV actors to everybody in town. So they really had their pick, and uh, clearly they picked the oh, best. Wally was not there. Well, in the I, first I, what, two, three, or four shows, he wasn't there. Well, he was for the auditions. He was the recordist, and there were all these Hasbro and and Sunbow execs. Leaning over his I, shoulder. I didn't see him. Yeah, I do. Okay, okay, I didn't see him. Well, I tell you, they wanted me to be James Earl Jones. I told them no. 
Steve got a phone call and said, they really want to talk to you, Arthur, because they liked what you were doing and you were different. And you got to go over there. I said, I, anybody who mentions J.E.J., I'm going to walk. They didn't. They were extremely kind. Can we get, would you like some coffee? <laughs> you know, and I'm going, so oh, they, wanted, they wanted you to do his voice? That was it? Do his voice. Do, do, yes, do. They, they, want, they, want, they, they, they thought that they wanted what was Darth Vader. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no. Yeah. Give, give me something of a little bit, a little bit of the history of this guy, you know, and they did. And it, it was just a little bit, you know, they hadn't really fleshed it out. I said, well, let me do that. In the meantime, uh, all right, this is what I would like to do with it. And that's what I did. Wally wanted to less gravelize the voice, which I thought was a mistake. And there were reasons why, you know, and I, I my interpretation, you want somebody else and you want to change the interpretation and get somebody else's my feeling, frankly. And I almost walked early on, and it was Chris who brought me back in. It was Chris who said, no, 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 no. Those Wally showing his lack of proper education. As I always I always felt he was from the wrong side of the suburban tracks myself. Look, I didn't want to say that. Yes, <laughs> I think you're quite right, you know. And, and and he just a lot of these people worked in the theater. Yeah. They're literate. They're very literate. Mark, you hear me? <laughs> you, you need literacy in your actors to give good performance. Damn, it's true. <laughs> I'm sorry to put the podcast. This is a podcast, right? Literacy is key. We need the the the, the stink of the grease paint, the smell of the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've just got the first Destro PSA. <laughs> Literacy is key. So says Lord Destro. Did you hear Flint out there with those with those vibes, those vibrations? Yeah. I can't even do it. I can't even do his Flint. I can't do his Flint. There's no way. He's got that he's got that heroic voice. He's got that heroic voice. Which when you when you see him Standing around, you get that heroic stance with that voice, you know. That's I right, love that's it. Right. With it, with it, with what it, these it. actors were doing. That's the what these actors were doing, you know. And, and Blue has Rose's mind. Oh, <laughs> you know. Uh, how can we do <laughs> <with> this? <laughs> you know. You know. That's why. I, I. Oh God, voice actor. Okay, look. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. You, you call me a voice actor. Okay. <laughs> so who, did you, you ever go you, get a voice actor? You know, you, you go get a voice actor, hand the script in front of them, and see what they do. Arthur, did you ever yeah. work with the great June Foray? No. Oh, God, no, but we talked. And you know who else? Who else? I, I love, is Tinkerbell. And I just met Tinkerbell about two years ago. No, June was great. She, ah, uh, no. I met her, never worked with her. I mean, says, she says, American voice actress. Rocky the Flying Squirrel, Nell Fenwick, Lucifer from Cinderella, Cindy Lou Who, blah, blah, blah. I was June doing... is not a voice actress. Right. She's, not, right. she's a veteran professional actress. She was um, 
about a, a, a little little old lady walked into the voiceover studio in the valley somewhere yes. for for a political yes. spot yes. for some Democratic candidate. Yes. And I thought, oh, it was yes. a nice little old lady's there to see her son work. And then she opened her mouth and she had the voice of like a mm. sexy sophomore in college. It was one of the strangest yeah. things I've ever, yeah. you know, she had a little yeah. cranberry outfit and matching shoes and purse. Yes. And she opened yeah. it and, and yeah. uh, I just thought, my God, man, this is really something. This She was in her late yeah. 70s yeah. and sounded 19. Yes. Yes. And you, she, you, can close, you can close your eyes. Yeah. And if the person inside of the actor, it all happens inside. You close your eyes, and you know, or you just hear it uh, uh, on recorded, and they become that. I mean, that's inspiration. Yeah, June, you can close your eyes in June, and she can become anything—a witch, a mean-spirited, or a wonderfully spirited human being. She can do anything, and you, you, you know, it. If you saw her on stage, you imagine she could do anything there too. From the beginning, she was a, a media person. She didn't have a theater background. It was all ra- it was radio. Right. Oh, she did make believe. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. But you, but you, see, you don't have to come from the theater to know its principles. Yeah. She has great talent. Unbelievable talent. Um, I, remember, I remember talking to somebody who was a, a radio God. guy. And I said, did you enjoy working in radio drama? He said, well, you know, they hated me. What do you mean they hated you? Well, I would memorize my scripts. I was a theater guy. And everybody else, the radio people, are standing there with a drink in their hand, a cigarette in the other, and a script in the copy stand, going, okay, I gave you a decent take. Let's move on. But uh, the theater guys would come and memorize the radio scripts and piss everybody off. And I don't know if she was. You know, she was a, just a classic. She had a, a show when she was 20 years old, late, lady something or other, early, her acting career. Lady Make Believe, it's June Foray and Lady Make... Arthur, that's what I, I don't want to be a voice actor. I want to be a... I want to wear a tuxedo. I want to stand in front of a beautiful yeah. microphone. I want to I want to yeah. look at all the big kids sweet, in the front row. Sweet, big, sweet boxes, you know, with your hand up next to your ear going... Good morning. How are you, Mr. and Mrs. American? All the ships at sea. That's right. That's right. Now, did you? Did you this as, is as Duke Ellington with. Did, did you do? It, <laughs> did you do any radio as a kid, or were you an actor as a kid? No, I didn't do any radio at all. Um, LaRoche McCaffrey McCall. That was the name of that company that had me at nineteen in New York, trying to do this uh, ad. That, I couldn't remember their names. Someone at Ashley Stein set me up for that. Uh, no, I did plays. I loved radio. I listened to to, uh, and then of course I saw him, Edward R. Murrow. Yeah, yeah. His stories of the Blitz were so beautiful. It was magnificent. I could imagine what was going on. Because I was doing a lot of reading too, I understood what those what those young old young folks were doing with Rocky the Flying Squirrel. Because I understood the old jokes that were inside of all their jokes in uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle. Loved it. June Foray. Oh God, God. 
I would have loved to have been there to watch the making of a couple of those shows or even half of one, you know, just love it. I grew up with teachers who kept telling me, because I learned by doing, you know, less is best on it. Frederick Rolf came to me in, um, in, in, in New York and we're going to do a Hamlet and I want you to be the first player. I want you to come to audition. All right. I read it and I had somebody throw me a sword. <laughs> I got the sword and I went right down and got up. You know, and when I got up, I became what Pythias or whatever that murderer was in Troy, right? That those lines. And suddenly that whole thing of ours are less is best. Less is best became my guide for everything as an actor at all. Yeah. Because I was hands-on here and I was screaming, you know, and <laughs> emoting <laughs> and all that. And because when, when you're on radio, you, you can't do it. When you're on voiceover, you can't do all that shit. Um, you have to feel it inside. And that's why I liked Destro, because Destro was a cowardly little boy. Everything emanates from that, you know. <laughs> you're a big, you're a big, handsome man. You suit your voice, but but really, a lot of the, a lot of those guys. I mean, I remember being in the studio. These guys did not fit their voices. I watched a guy in in Chicago yeah. at a network yeah. radio show, Don McNeil, the Don McNeil Hour. This is a big, fat, ugly yeah. man with no hair and big, ugly hands. <laughs> he probably screwed his fingernails. And yet yeah, the, audience, yeah, the audience yeah. was all women and they were, you know, a lot of them were, many of them were moist in, in front of them. Right. We had this rich baritone voice. You could talk about anything. And this, this is how I see myself. Although I'm far better looking than Don McNeil, I want to tell you. Uh, 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 yeah, so, yeah. so what are you writing? What the hell are you writing, sir? Oh, I don't want to talk about it. I'm tired of talking about me. Oh, God. But I'll I, I just, I, I, I just put it into a few couple of words, okay? Yeah. I have a couple of major collections of poetry. Oh, oh! And a play. But look, two of the poems, two of the epical, epic poems came out of monologues from the motion picture Mariner that I wrote. And uh, it was based upon Samuel Taylor Coleridge's rhyme of the ancient mariner. Of course, the captain of the boat is black. <laughs> <laughs> well, the ill, the ill-fated boat. But anyway, I, I, you know, no, no. I, I, the thrust is I'm trying to get a, a, a leave a little legacy of. Well, it could be performance-driven works. I think because I I find myself checking the rhythm but do which you probably do too well you check know your rhythm I, you know you, you check the lyricism of a if you close your eyes and them are people you think that someone will see what you're saying i'm sorry i cut you off no no i i, I didn't i didn't want to leave my kids as theater orphans i knew way too many actors who had children and they would continue to do play after play and Never be around. I yes. just know not to do that. Yes. And yes. Then, yes. But then yes. when they got old enough, the, the storytelling scene in LA with the moth and all that, and I did that for yes. about 10 years. But these days, Arthur, that's why I erupted when you said poetry. 
I've actually been doing open uh, uh, virtual open mics on Zoom. In fact, tonight, the Rap Saloon out in Santa Monica is having its first Friday's open mic poetry, and and, and there's a lot of LA poets who do it. I'm I'm on it, man, and because uh, beautiful, beautiful. I ain't Homer. Let's put it that way, but. And as as one of my writing, as, as, as one of my writing teachers, somebody in class said, "Oh, I could hear you read the phone book." I, 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 I. And my writing teacher said, "Well, you know, Bill, you don't want to hide crappy writing with a nice voice." So that I, jealous. I'm I'm ready. I'm uh, I'm going to read a poem uh, tonight called "Fabrica la Aurora." I, a prince with sculpted jaws. A straw-hatted master with a stiff whip. I'm invisible, but she is staring at me. The small-breasted goddess limp as fingered gold. I could go on forever, Arthur. Yes, yes. So, so yeah, man. I was hoping you would. I'm, I'm hoping you would, for Christ's sake. <laughs> I'll show you your mine if you show me your... <laughs> Oh, God. It's, it's so varied. Some of it is, well... If it's not experiential, then it won't work. But if it doesn't have a, a lyric, if it, if, it, if it can't be sung a little bit, then right. it won't work. Yeah. If there's no rhythm, then it won't work. If there's no image, then it won't work. It won't become feeling into form at all. Yeah. Uh, or... It won't transport at all, you know. It was Ursula Le Guin and somebody else? Who was it? Uh, Joyce Carol Oates, maybe, or who else? It was, it was a black man who said this. Who was it? Who was it? They said, "No self pity. No self pity. No, 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 no self pity." And I, I, I had to go through the work and say, oh, this has got to go. <laughs> yes. You know, I, I turned treacly sentiment into self-pity. <laughs> so I had to get rid of it all, you know, and, and I went through certain molting stages uh, of work to make, I, I hope, delightful. I hope it's delightful. It's incisive. Some of it is of my life in the 20th century, as well as, I'm still working on it, but there's a poem about mass murder called Thoracic Park, huh. I've called it. <laughs> yeah. I want to hear it. I want to hear it, well, I don't, not, it's, not, it's, 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 it's not ready yet. And there's another one, you know, about autocracy and tyranny called Nebuchadnezzar too must die. Oh, nice. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. And then, and then, and then I do, there's a lot of love stuff and a lot of playful stuff and there's a lot of military stuff and there's a lot of jail stuff, G-A-O-L. And there's their letters, there's a couple of letters to my daughter. I think of certain people, Bill, when I, not just in my own life, but certain people who have written, you know, black, white. Yeah. Now, what was interesting to me was that I, I wrote a I wrote a converse, I wrote a conversation with a dying moth a few years ago, and you know who came to I I, I quoted him twice, <laughs> stole a couple of lines from him, 
and I had to say at the end of the program, this is uh, this is Rilke. This is Rilke. The mom was speaking Rilke to the to me, you know. And then I, at the end of this thing, I'm going, I was, I, I, the moth and I become one, and it's dying, you know. <laughs> You'll join me in a few years. I said, <laughs> I'll see. I'll I, just, see. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that people. I don't think that people will either understand. But what's interesting is is that the people who don't get connected to some work, who get left out, you know, because they are people of more limited means or people who who don't get to go to the soirees and stuff like that, you know, or, or to get to go to when they hand out the big literary awards, right? I found these are the people who like my work. I, I don't talk down to them. I'll see you at the podium, sir. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So, so I got to sign off. This is um, the Dexa trim is wearing off. What can I tell you? <laughs> um, it's so so, so good Mr. talking with you, Bill. You too, man. This is great fun, Mister Mister Isereri. What what? Uh, how do we say goodbye here? Well, I I mean, I think you just did. I mean, Bill, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And Arthur, thank you so much for joining us, too. I know we got way off topic, but it's been great hearing you guys yeah, talk all, about Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Oh, no, no, no. You're fine. It's because... I, this I, is my fault. No, no. I did it. I take full, I take full blame <laughs> for asking Mr. Bogart <laughs> about his literary career, which oh, which uh, consumes us both in the, in, oh, in the Ardoche, oh, you know? That's right. So, Bill, where, where can everybody oh, find you? Oh, God. Oh, God. White guilt. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, White liberal guilt. <laughs> so, so, so. Bill, yes. Bill, I love you, brother. I love you, brother. Thank you. You too, man. This has been great fun. Just real quick before we lost Bill, Bill, tell everybody where they can find you. If they, they can find me at uh, BillRadner.com or BillRadner.com slash author or Twitter Beautiful. at BillRadner. That's right. BillRadner. Do, do I have anything to sell? I've got a five-year-old book to sell. One day, Arthur, I'll be like you. I'll say my chapbook published by Fairy Dust Press in Spartanick, uh, Kansas. But boy, they're really, they're, Bill, they're poets out there. Bill, Bill, if you like any of this work, right, ever, and you want to say something, there's no reason why you can't write a little blurb in the forward, okay? Thank you. Even if it's a little critical, I don't care, because we work together, and we're <laughs> brothers. We're brothers in joke. <laughs> Everybody, I love you, man. I love you. I love you. I Thanks love so you so much, Bill. I'm going to stay on with you guys for just a couple more minutes. All right. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. It's not nice meeting you. Thank you, Bill. You guys, this has been great. And uh, yeah, you, t uh, Walt, uh, Mark, 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 <laughs> Mark, Joe, Mike, and Arthur at 805. This has been great fun, you guys. I'm signing off. Take care, Have, a Have a great night. Have a good night. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. Oh man, that was that was a lot of fun. Well, in a few moments, I'm going to go too, uh, but.
I, I hope I didn't offend anybody. No, man, you guys are good. You guys, we we let you roll because you had stories right. to swap with one another. You hadn't. You clearly had not spoken in a while, so we didn't want to get in the way. Mark, did you, you and Joe have questions? Joe, I think I just rolled right over you like a steam shovel or something. <laughs> That's okay. No, it's not. I just want to you say will, you'll you just guys, owe me yeah. a hug the next time I get to see you. We'll do lunch. You got it. Brother Mark, <laughs> are you going to become a a Desto diehard? I I sent in for it. So if they don't uh if they don't respond great, quick, great. I'll I'll tell them I oh, know the will. man. They will. Oh, believe me, believe me, they will. You tell them that you know the man and you want to get in there. <laughs> Yeah, if I get if I get Mark. stonewalled at all, I say, you know what? I, I don't want to go right <laughs> to the top on this, but <laughs> listen, I'll turn you into a general. Oh, I like it. Over general. <laughs> general. General Weber, I'll take it. That Voltar guy, he ain't doing the job anyway. So <laughs> Weber. Mr. Mr. Honcho, I just checked. You are in. Nice. Yeah. Yes. So now, I, now, now, Desto's got to check in. I kind of wanted well, to play the "Don't you know who I am?" card, though, right? Don't you know who I am? Yeah. I'm connected. Uh, I'm, I'm the actually, main man. Actually, actually, I think I'd like you to say that. Right? Why? Because these kids, have, these kids will probably have a lot of questions for you. Now, I don't want to pull anybody's covers, so uh, especially the kids who are listening in to this podcast. If, if you'll go on there and identify yourself and say if anybody has questions about what we've done at, at Hasbro and what we might or I might do in the future, come on, you can rap to me. I, you know, I've asked Arthur if I, I can, and all the kids do that among themselves, that they have discussions right. uh, that I don't monitor or run. I, I, I come in and talk to the kids. As a matter of fact, I haven't had a, a, a discussion in a while, I owe eight of them um, phone messages, and they're getting two apiece. Uh, and I've sent out three of them, and just haven't had a lot of time. Joe, I'm so sorry. You can vouch me on this. My computer's been going in and out. I've had problems with my back, and my art- I have arterial problems, too. I don't want to get into that right now, but mm-hmm. that's getting worked out, Okay. And I also had some financial problems, which are getting worked out. And I had representation problems, which have been worked out. <laughs> good, good, good. So it's been tough. Uh, and um, I can't always go on a lot. So uh, I'm, and, and I'm awfully glad, like, when Joe comes on and Diana Davis come on, they could take the moderation a little bit and, and make a discussion happen, you know, it's fine. And you can do that there too. All right. De- definitely. That. Well, and one we of the things, one of, you know, it's our, it's our tag for the show is to plug the damn show. So I'll definitely get on right. there and let, and let them know when this episode specifically is going to air, Wonderful. because, you know, Wonderful. if we, if we can't get Wonderful. the Destro diehards to tune in, come on. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, you're, you're going to hear a couple of commercials that I just shot, PSAs that I shot or taped, voiceovers, for Quarantined Con. 
Dirk, uh, Dirk Strangely. That's what he calls himself out of Conroe, Texas. He's got a major super, and he, he loves Joe. Uh, and um, he's got a major superstore out there, and he's got lots of great friends. He's somebody, Mark, that you might want to know. Um, yeah, absolutely. In fact, a lot of these kids, a lot of these kids are somebody that are somebody's that the people at Hasbro and and, and who, who make the toys, make the cartoons, they need to know these kids. These kids really, literally, are their, their children are watching their old cartoons. Okay. These people come up to me. I am a Destro lover or a Joe lover for life. God bless you. You know, and thank you for, for giving me mine and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. These kids are incredible. There's and all this I, I, I know I zung Bill. I, he zung me many, many times, right? And I know I got it. I got it. You know, with that line at the end there, got it. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, it's wonderful meeting you and talking with you. And I'm sorry that I'm the one doing all the talking. Joe, I love you, baby. I love you too, uh, Arthur. Uh, uh, gentlemen, I just love looking at Joe when she gets on her costume. She's so great and smart. <laughs> Honey, what you got coming up for us? What you got going? What's going on? Right now, just doing the the, the right. closet uh, Disney stuff that I've been doing. But I have been working Ooh. on the Iron Grenadier, like I told you. And then yes. just gardening. I'm trying to plant my garden if it would stop raining. Whether I get a chance to do Destro again or not is beside the point. The point is that what we kids tried to do with G.I. Joe from the beginning was both in homage to the original General Infantry Ordinary Joes, as well as to the state of the art about acting in cartoons, okay? This, this was important to many of us, as well as making a salary. We loved it. At first I didn't, but then I grew to loving it a lot. And we, I, I miss it. And the reason why I didn't do the show in 1989 was because I was in jail for my drinking and driving uh, for many months and running away from the law in 1986 and 87. And I got several months in jail and I didn't, uh, I couldn't contest it. And uh, when Joe started up with Deke, brother Lamarck, Maurice Lamarck got to do uh, Destro and the other guy. And I lost out. Mm. But I did the original shows, and for that, I'm very proud and very happy that the people have, uh, have loved them, and I want you to know that. That's all, brother. There are you know, several different people who've been the voice of Destro over the years, but, I mean, it, it's no contest who the fans believe. Perfect. When they read Destro in Larry's comic, even to this day, it's your voice they hear. Well, that's nice to know. My man did his venom because he heard my my venom, and uh, <laughs> I believe because it sounds a great deal like me. A lot of thought was given to what he was doing. You know, when we place our minds in somebody else's head, thinking or life, and become that person, it's the highest form of 
learning who we are as entities, uh, as creatures, and thinking creatures of that. And uh, it's made my life fantastic. I couldn't have asked for anything more. At 72, about ready to be 73 on Charlie Parker and Ingrid Bergman's birthday, I want to tell you, I'm looking back and I, I realize that I couldn't have had a better time on the planet. And right now, I'm very grateful. I love you three. We love you too, sir. Thanks. Take care of yourself. Good night, doctor. Thanks so much. I'm, I'm checking out. Thank I you. love you. Arthur Burghardt, everyone. Bye-bye, <laughs> kids. Thanks again for tuning in to this installment of the What's on Joe Mine Virtual Con. Mark Weber, you got any last thoughts? Hearing those two guys go back and forth, and, and once, in a, once in a while they say, I'm sorry, we're, we're not letting you guys get a word in. And it's like, honestly, I, I'm afraid to step on either one of them. If I was listening, I'd be mad at me for cutting off Arthur Burghardt. So I was, uh, you know, I was riding that mute button pretty hard that whole time, you know. <laughs> terrified to bring something up i wanted to jump in when they started talking rocky and bullwinkle if no one talks about it I mean, it's so obvious there's a serious natasha influence on the baroness character mm -hmm. and and maybe morgan's talked about that in talking about what you know what, what she brought to it or what her uh, inspirations were but i wanted to get arthur's opinion on that and bill's opinion on that and uh I never, never quite got there because I was just afraid to pop the mic on and step on something awesome. Joe Colton. It was a pleasure meeting Bill. I never got to talk to him before. I was very nervous. It's great, like Mark said, listening to the both of them go back and forth. And I just, I, I found myself laughing out loud on mute and like shaking my head. And I put the glass of wine down and I just, intently watched my phone as if they were going <laughs> to come through the phone. So it was great. It's always wonderful talking to the voice actors and getting their perspectives either on their character or the time when they were recording, what was going on behind the scenes, insights. So, yeah, I, I always enjoy uh, talking to them. Uh, we're going to have to tell them both that you referred to them as voice actors. Right? <laughs> Dun, dun, I know, uh, I know. Joe Colton, <laughs> out of the, off the good list. Off the good list with yes. Joe Colton. Back down well, to the dungeon you go. <laughs> All At least, wait, actors. there's a cot down there. There's, there's a, a cot. There's a cot in the dungeon, so she'll be okay. I'll be fine. I'm not making it out. So, everybody, uh, be sure to listen to the recorded message that's coming up in a, in a couple seconds. Visit our donation site if you can, and, and just... Give a couple of dollars to World Central Kitchen uh, and try to make some uh, tomorrow a better day for, for somebody out there. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, we'll catch you again tomorrow. Good night. Thanks for tuning in to Day 5 of the What's on Joe Mind Virtual JoeCon. Special thanks to our special guests, Bill Ratner and Arthur Burkhart, for their time. Remember to visit our donation site at donate.wck.org slash what's on Joe Mind. We're collecting those donations until May 10th. So the day after we stop posting new panels, that's the day that we're going to stop the fundraiser. Please help us make our goal. Tune in tomorrow. We'll wind it up when we play Joe Parody.
with Brian Cummings, Zach Hoffman, and Morgan Lofting. We'll see you then. A little bit of soap will wash away your lipstick on my face. But a little bit of soap will never, 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 ever erase the pain in my heart and my eyes as I go through the lonely hills. A little bit of soap will never wash away my tears. Mm, a little bit of soap. cousin Bob and I'd like to sell you a used car. If you're locked down, sequestered, I'd like to sell mindful writing in difficult times. The handout. He's still talking. He's still talking. <laughs> That's what my mother used to say at the <laughs> dining table. Elbows, elbows off the table. This is not a writing stable. This is right <laughs> dining table. Ha, ha, ha.